No, nah, it's all good, man. I, I am here. I'm excited to be here. I've been wanting to be involved in your guys' podcast for a while. So thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this, I think. We kicked off the episode with a recording that I took while I was calling in to the Mimiverse Bonfire podcast. I got to be a special guest on the show. You're going to get to hear a promo, slightly outdated, for that podcast here in a little bit later in the episode. Then we went right into a song from the band, The Necronomicids. It's from their self-titled album. The song is Bet Noir. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can find them on Bandcamp or follow the links in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Welcome to my podcast. I am your writer, producer, host, Derek M. Cook. I want to thank you for joining us for our 172nd regular episode of Monster Kid Radio. You know, we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't have this many episodes under our belt if it wasn't for the most important people when it comes to the podcast, and that's you boys and girls, monster kids all around the world listening to the podcast. So thank you for listening, thank you for your support for the last, well, has it been almost two years? Anyway, this episode of the podcast is going to be a little different. We've got well, an old recording that I took back in 2013. Now, this was something that I did at the local HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon. This was an interview that I did with Sean Branny from the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. I'll get into that here in a little bit. First, monsterkidradio.net. But this is where you're going to go to find everything you need when it comes to Monster Kid Radio, our live 365 internet radio station where you're going to hear music and sounds and trailers from classic monster movies with a few outliers here and there. You can find a link to our Facebook group where conversations are happening between episodes. We also have our contact information up here. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. We also have our email address posted there, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. If you've heard anything in any previous episode of Monster Kid Radio or you hear something this time around and you want to talk about it here on the show, well, get a hold of us. We'll include your feedback in a future episode. You know, we also have a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and support the podcast financially a little bit. I keep threatening to update the rewards here, and I'm going to. I swear it's going to happen. Stay tuned. All right, so in this episode, we're going a little off script. Typically, the formula is we bring somebody in that really likes a classic monster movie of some sort or has had some sort of personal experience with somebody involved in these classic monster movies. Or, as in the case of the last episode where we had the gang from Tales of Dracula on the show, we interview people who are making movies in the style of the classic films. And that's what you're going to hear with Sean Branny. Now, like I said, he's with the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. This is a group that originally started as a local role-playing game group, just a group of friends doing these live-action Call of Cthulhu Lovecraft role-playing games. They eventually branched out, started making movies. The most recent film from a few years ago is The Whisperer in Darkness. This is a feature-length film based on a Lovecraft story shot in the style of 30s and 40s Universal monster movies. I sat down with Sean in the upstairs area of the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, for an interview. Now, 
couple of things. One, I was using a different portable recorder. This was a Zoom. It wasn't my Zoom H2, though. It was somebody else's Zoom, a different style of Zoom. Zoom is the name of the company that makes these portable recorders. They are awesome. I've been using my Zoom H2 for years, even back during my mail-order zombie days. I love this device. Well, I was using a Zoom H2N for the first time at the Hollywood, and Okay, the technical details are probably a little boring, slightly different, and I wasn't overly familiar with the settings. So you still get some background noise. Filtered a lot of it out. I still think there's some good content in the interview, and Sean and I chatted about the two movies that they made that I believe are incredibly relevant to the Monster Kid Radio listenership. Call of Cthulhu, which was done in the style of a silent film, and then again, Whisper in Darkness. So we're going to get to that. You know what? Why don't we go ahead and do that, and then I'll come back on the show, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up with Monster Kid Radio this year. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine. And they're all 1950s-style black-and-white movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us at SaintEuphoria.com. Or like us on Facebook. That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in. Death. Eternal punishment. For anyone who opens this casket. The mummy. Is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know. You'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. There's nothing on earth like the mummy. You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan. He's going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself. Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon 2013 here in Portland, and I'm with a guy who's been here almost every year that I've been coming. Uh, my name is Sean Branny, and I've been coming here because I'm one of the founders of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. We first came up here, at least the first year I came was, I think, maybe 2001 or 2002, and we had made a short film of The Shuggeth on the Roof, and came up here and met everybody and saw what a good time it was, and... We were hopeless addicts and have been coming back ever since. So the HPLHS is about recreating a lot of the the, uh, the props, the era of a lot of these stories. Do you have an affinity for this era outside of the Lovecraft uh, connection? We do. Yeah, I, I think part of the appeal of Lovecraft is the era in which he was writing. You know, the, the 20s and 30s is all 
always been kind of a dear time period to us, and uh, all the better if you can throw in some uh, you know, fantastic supernatural horror into uh, an era that we're already fond of. So you've got two movies that I, that I am proud to have on my DVD shelf that are era appropriate or era uh, almost uh, as if they were shot. Well, obviously as if they were shot there. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu and the Whisper in Darkness. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu is a silent film. What can you tell us about that? Our, our first project, actually, that brought us up here back in the, the early 2000s was uh, something we had done as a spoof, uh, Shuggeth on the Roof, and it sort of imagines merging the world of uh, Fiddler on the Roof with H.P. Lovecraft, which we thought was a funny idea, and a lot of other people did, too. Uh, and after its success, we, we sort of didn't want to get cornered into being the funny Kifuru guys, uh, so we wanted to do a serious project, and we, we talked about a few different stories, and we're both very fond of the, the story, The Call of Cthulhu, and it had never been produced as a motion picture before, and so it's such a big, sweeping, epic story, we started batting around the idea, well, how, if we wanted to make a movie out of this, how could we? And realized if we approached it in the same way that early filmmakers from the 1920s would have, uh, a lot of the production challenges would actually be solved for us, and we could produce it in the same aesthetic that had Lovecraft, had it been made as a, a movie during Lovecraft's lifetime, it's how he would have seen it. So, uh, Call of Cthulhu was written in 1926, so we decided to film it as if it had been shot in 1926. So it's done in black and white, it's not uh, quite, you know, feature length, and it uses a lot of uh, filmmaking techniques. Most of the special effects are in-camera effects done in the way that they would have been done in the 1920s. Were there any specific films that you looked at for inspiration, touchstones, that sort of thing? There's a lot, you know, uh, most of the major ones, but uh, a lot of the German expressionists films, you know, the Caligari and Faust were both ones where, you know, the, the production design was so stylized in a really cool, completely artificial way, but the way in which it was artificial was so compelling, it's actually more interesting because it's not real. And we thought, uh, particularly with the, the non-Euclidean geometry of the and trying to picture a lot of the very bizarre things Lovecraft described, that that sort of artificial but aesthetically compelling technique might be a neat way to go at it. You mentioned some of the production issues would be removed or eliminated if you shot it as if it was from that era. Were there things that you wanted to do in the movie that you just had to say, you know, we can do it, but we can't because it's not era-specific? Not so much that, you know. The, I think the only major pathway from the, the story that we kind of wrote our way around and make a movie was uh, this big sea battle that happens between the two ships um, before they go out to the island, which, you know, do, <laughs> then we need two ships and guys on them and a big fight sequence over the water, you know, and that was going to strain our production capabilities. And it also brought in the kind of ugly, uh, racist aspect, you know, the, uh, how Lovecraft described that. We can kind of gloss over it in contemporary reading. It doesn't seem so bad, but we actually would have to hire a bunch of African-Americans to come get their butts kicked by a bunch of white guys. You know, I felt for a, because we're not making the film for a 1920s audience, but we're making it for a contemporary audience, that really that whole sequence, we weren't going to lose a lot in kind of sidestepping that. Um, you know, and we certainly made our lives simpler from the production standpoint. So. At what point during Call of Cthulhu or after Call of Cthulhu did you decide to do another one and, and to add sound? Oh, I think right after Call of Cthulhu, I didn't think we were ready to ever make another movie. But um, we were uh, literally, well, not literally, but figuratively had our socks blown off by um, the reception that the film got from Lovecraft fans. And even, you know, I mean, it played it. It's probably close to 100 film festivals worldwide now to play that. You know, it got a kind of reception that we had never anticipated. We made the movie, you know, hoping we might make our money back in a year or two. 
we made our money back in five weeks. I mean, it was just you know a very shocking kind of thing. So the success of that film put us in a position where then we could think kind of bigger and, and broader, going, okay, well, what's going to be next? How do we make another movie? Um, how do we build on what we've got going here with this aesthetic that people have really enjoyed? And uh, how do we try and reach a wider audience with the next project? The next project was The Whispering Darkness. It's got sound. It's got dialogue. It feels like a universal film to me. That, and that was really what we targeted at because you know, Call of Cthulhu was a story from 1926 that was shot in the style of 1926. Whisper is a story written in 31, and we went, well, that's the year of Dracula, that's the year of Frankenstein. It's a pretty good year for the very early sound horror pictures, particularly the ones from Universal. So we decided to let that sort of be our aesthetic benchmark as we approached uh, going into production and uh, went, yeah, let's see if we can make something that, that has that kind of feel to it, uh, that kind of look to it, but it's got audio, it's feature length, and it's it's a little bit more of a uh, accessible story than Call of Cthulhu is sort of a, an onion with all these layers to it that you dig into, and, and that's how it's written. But with Whisper, we wanted it to really be a, 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 the story of a protagonist, Albert Wilmarth, and his horrible adventure in Vermont, so... If you were to double feature Whisperer with an existing you know, movie from that era, what, what would you recommend people maybe watch it with? You know, we like like in watching the uh, the 20s movies to do Call of Cthulhu, we watch you know, a lot of the 30s films. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Mummy. Um, and, and I think The Mummy is, is really well shot, and I think it's the best paced, at least for a modern audience, of those pictures. So, yeah, I, I Whisperer, Mummy combo, I'd buy a ticket. That's an interesting call. I don't know if I would have gone there. So that's you just, the Mummy film is great. It's a great love story and it's got some great performances. Speaking of performances, did you find that your actors had to kind of change their acting style to fit that style of filmmaking? I would say actually maybe a little bit less than than Call of Duty. In working in a silent film, you know, you, you just don't have the, the, the tool of voice to work with. Moving into a sound picture, our actors are able to use their voice to convey, you know, what's, what's going on with it. So I think from an acting standpoint, it's actually whispers a more naturalistic style than Call of Cthulhu was, even though it's a more theatrical style than, say, like, you know, most contemporary pictures. So. Can we talk about the music? Because I love film scores. I love film music. Your composer was Troy Sterling. He's... Did he? Did you give him any particular films? Say, you know, I want it to sound like this or that, or just let him go. Yeah, Troy's already very well steeped in the music. He's he loves those old movies and he knows them very well, and he knows uh, orchestral composition really well. So. Um, Troy had also, before we uh, started on Whisper, had done some of our Dark Adventure radio theories, uh, series, which are all also in that sort of pulp radio kind of style. So he's very honed into the aesthetic that we were looking for. So we were pretty much, you know, we'd get a rough cut of the movie and send it his way and go make some music, you know, and then we'd talk about what he did. But frankly, you know, he needed very little guidance in terms of, of creating that kind of experience that hopefully sonically, you know, when somebody walked into Frankenstein in 1931 and saw it for the first time and was, you know, had their socks blown off, um, we hope that uh, when when people would come in and see Whisper and hear Troy's music, that they would have that same sort of, you know, a, a resting experience um, that's created by the story. 
So we're talking about the authenticity and that sort of thing. How much research goes into making sure that your props are authentic to the era? Is it just Google, or do you have a, a more in-depth process you've gone through over the years? Well, you know, I, I, my colleague Andrew Lehman is really our, our prop master, um, and he's uh, you know he's worked as a professional prop master in Hollywood. He, he knows how to do that research, and frankly, at this point, it's like he knows, or at least he knows what he knows and knows what he needs to look up. Um, and uh, you know, frankly, Google Image is a really useful resource you know, for what things look like um, when you're talking, you know, physical objects. And if you, you know, they're very early in the movie, there's a shot and the camera pans across Albert Lumar's desk, you know. That desk is you know, completely outfitted with real antiques, most of which are, you know, things in the you know, a 1930s professor would very likely have on his desk and the picture frames and the style in which the portraits would have been shot and all that. Um, it's pretty exhaustive and, you know, he's got a fantastic attention to detail. Uh, a slightly more, you know, interesting challenge in terms of this was we had some sci-fi props where the, the, you can't research them because they've never existed before. And so we then had to think, well, not, not what kind of alien technology do we want to invent? But what would an art director in 1931 who read this script, how would he have interpreted it using the tools he had? What would he have made? And then how do we go and produce things that, that will capture what science fiction looked like to a 1931 person? And that was perhaps the bigger challenge. With that. You know, and I don't want this to sound like I'm criticizing the movie because I love it. But there, you know, speaking of the sci-fi elements, there are some things in Whisper that are a little CGE for that era. Sure. Did you struggle with making the decision to include that in this film? Yeah, we, we did. The, the original intent when we were in pre-production was that there would be no CG and it would be, uh, at least all the animation would be done in traditional stop motion um, uh, kind of approach to it. In the end, uh, you know, there are very real constraints of time and money, um, both of which were, <laughs> we were burning through fast in Whisper. Uh, and, and we realized, you know, that we could really probably shave 18 months off of production and a whole lot of money. And even though CG is, is expensive, um, so is, you know, paying a dude to sit in a dark room and move little creature arms, you know, tiny fractions of an inch. The sequ- some of the, the sequences um, in Whisper with the creatures are also really complex from an animation standpoint in that we've got, you know, flying things at night in the rain. So you have to, animating the rain is a fundamental problem, um, as well as, you know, the very complex bodies of these guys. So we found a, an animation studio and in, in CG studio in L.A. who was big fans of Call of Cthulhu, and they, they came to us, actually, and said, hey, we think we can do CG and make it look more like the Ray Harryhausen kind of uh, style of animation and deliberately make it a little bit jerky and a little bit awkward so it doesn't feel as kind of contemporary and slick. So that was kind of a, a compromise we made in production, and, you know, there's a great many compromises that go into any movie, but that was one that, were the, that how we ended up implementing it was not the original concept. Um, there is definitely a Willis O'Brien kind of feel to some of the monsters there. So, I mean, you succeeded in that regard. So, I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm just, I am curious. Um, I, I do have another question about the movie itself, and it's less about the construction of the of the film itself, but more about the story. There is a deviation. Sure. Call of Cthulhu is pretty straight on, right. you know, straight narrative. Why the change? Sure. You know, Lovecraft as a writer is fantastic for setups. He he comes up with really interesting, rich circumstances. As a dramatic storyteller, he's his stories are uh, 
generally dramatically flawed uh, in that they, uh, from a filmmaker or uh, screenwriter's perspective, they tend to not have a third act. They don't tend to resolve. You know, his so many of the stories just sort of go. Eek! I ran away, um, which is fine in a short story because there's really no rules. But for film audiences who have, you know, bonded with a hero and have seen him get into a really interesting predicament, and if the hero just goes eek and runs away, we go, oh, that was lame. It wasn't a satisfactory resolution of the conflict. So, in looking at, at trying to to make a full feature-length story. Uh, have whisper, we really wanted to put it in a situation where saying Eek and running away was was simply not on the table. He couldn't do that. He needed to actually try and take some sort of action that he was personally responsible for to try and resolve the situation. Now, being Lovecraft fans, we, we made him fail horribly, but, but, but we made him try uh, so that his failure then, you know, hopefully the audience doesn't that this guy knew uh, failed what he was trying to do, but are glad that he didn't just go eek and run away the way he does in the story. So, you've been coming to the festival for years. That said about Lovecraft, why do you think so many people try to adapt his work if it's so non-cinematic? Well, I think it's I think it's seductive. I think it's creatively seductive, uh, and I think that's why you see so many artists and painters and writers and poets and and you know cartoons. You know, everybody's drawing into Lovecraft because it's a very interesting and inviting creative world. Um, you know, the way he worked with his colleagues at the time, you know, he's like, oh, I made a new scary book, put it in your story, that's fine, here, I'll borrow your monster. It was a very, you know, um, friendly and, and creatively collaborative uh, environment, and I think that has really lived on from Lovecraft, and I think, you know, modern creators find that, and it's very easy to get into, and go, and I think it's part of the reason you see a lot of Lovecraft shorts, too, because it's, in a short, you can really grab just sort of the weird circumstance or, or or, you know, some of the motifs and, and just dive ahead and make a movie. If you want to make a feature, then you, you really are forced to kind of confront the need to resolve stories in a way that wasn't important He didn't care about the tactics. He cared about the external phenomenon. And, you know, that's great, but, but movie-going audiences, you know, really want more than just the external phenomenon. They want, you know, uh, that's just, uh, I think, how we've all been enculturated to generally expect from a story, you know, a protagonist who goes on a journey and it has an outcome. So you get asked this every time. I'm sure you, I'm, I'm going to ask you. No, I'm going to ask you. What, what's next? What's next, man? Uh, uh, right now, at the moment, we uh, we've been having a lot of fun. We we've just recently done two new episodes of our Dark Adventure Radio Theater, which is the 1930s style radio plays we've done, uh, and we've got two more that are in pre-production. They're actually scripted out, and, and uh, we anticipate by the end of the year both of the new ones will be done. Uh, on the filmmaking perspective, we've got a couple of big ideas that we're kind of kicking around. Um, one of the challenges of course into feature films is they're darned expensive uh, and so you know we're having to really really look at um, you know how how we'll choose to fund one will we use a different model going into the next one um, you know how big a project will it be how much do we want to bite off um, so those are all things that are we're weighing but we have a couple of different stories that we've um, we're taking a look at uh, as, as likely candidates sort of at, at a 
at a couple different budget tiers to go, all right, if we, if we want to spend absolutely nothing, we'll do movie A. If we want to spend, you know, the same as we spent on Whisper, we'll do movie B. If we can actually get some outside capital and do something quite a bit bigger, we'll do movie C. So that's kind of where we're at. And you have a website. You're established online. What's the website address for our listeners? We are, uh, it's CthulhuLives.org, uh, which if you're listening to this, you probably already know how to spell Cthulhu, but if for some reason you don't, it's C-T-H-U-L-H-U-L-I-V-E-S.org. Uh, you can also just Google Lovecraft Historical or Cthulhu Movie or, any, you know, we're, we're pretty ubiquitous on the web. We're easy to find. So, uh, yeah, come by, check it out. We make all kinds of weird stuff that uh, people enjoy, and we have a big, confusing website that's full of lots of interesting stuff if you're into this sort of thing. Now, people can buy stuff from your website, but your movies are also on Amazon? Yeah, the, our, our movies and our radio plays are all also on Amazon oh, and other places, too, but uh, if you get it from us, we, we get to keep more of it. So, either way, that's all works out good. So. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Now, in case I didn't say it before, I will say it again. Thank you, Sean, for sitting down with me at a very busy Lovecraft Film Festival in CthulhuCon to do this interview. You know, the HPLHS gang is incredibly busy and popular at the festival, and rightly so. They do an amazing job with props and books and CDs and LPs and their movies. Good stuff. I hope another movie's coming eventually. There hasn't been anything since this interview. However, they have been focusing a lot on their Dark Adventure Radio Theater project. These are fan Fantastic. These are CD releases packed with props. We've got little foldouts and things that enhance the experience. And they are done in the style of an old-time radio show. It's not just somebody reading the story. For example, the At the Mountains of Madness Dark Adventure Radio Theater, it's done as if there are news reports coming in from the expedition. It's really Really cool. He mentioned the website, CthulhuLives.org, and that's C-T-H-U-L-H-U-Lives.org. Again, link in the show notes. Thank you, Sean. Thanks to the HP Lovecraft Historical Society gang for just putting out such quality product for monster kids like us who happen to love Lovecraft as well. So what's coming up for Monster Kid Radio? Well, you know, it's January, technically. It's the last episode of January. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time kind of reflecting on what's come and looking ahead at what's coming. I think 2014 was a very successful year for Monster Kid Radio. We finally launched the Creature Cast Among Us spinoff podcast. That just means a lot to me because I absolutely adore the Creature films. So long-time listeners, again, know this. Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite film of all time. And to have a spinoff monthly show devoted to that? Well, it's incredibly fulfilling. At this point, that spinoff is still part of the Monster Kid Radio feed. However, at some point this year, probably within the next couple of months, I plan on breaking that off into its own individual feed. Again, you'll still be able to get it here at the Monster Kid Radio feed. But if you want to just get the Creature Cast podcast, you'll be able to get it separately as well. The next episode of that is scheduled to come out at the end of the month. At the end of the month, there's always a new episode. So stay tuned for this coming out on January 31st at some point during the day. Watch your iTunes, your Stitcher, your smartphone, or watch for the smoke signals coming out of Monster Kid Radio headquarters here in Portland, Oregon. What else is coming up? Well, we've talked a little bit about doing some other spinoffs with Monster Kid Radio, and that may still happen in the future later this year. I personally don't have anything planned, but... I would like to expand the Monster Kid Radio 
brand. Let's call it a brand. Why not? I'd love to have another spinoff or another relevant type show coming out on its own separate feed, but still part of the Monster Kid Radio family. Because right now we've got the main podcast, we've got Creature, and we've got the Live 365 radio station. But at some point this year, I want to do something different, something else. Well, I don't want to do it. I want somebody else to do it so that I don't have to do any more work on it. I just want to be able to enjoy it. So let's call this an open call. If anybody out there is feeling froggy podcasting-wise and has an idea for a spinoff show for Monster Kid Radio, drop me a line at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and we'll talk. You know, I just mentioned that Live 365 radio station again. We haven't updated the playlist in a little while. That's going to be changing. At some point this year, we're going to have some themed days. Uh, we are going to have one day that's devoted to nothing but the kind of music that typically opens an episode of Monster Kid Radio, like the Necronomic Kids or Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion or the – you know what? I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm, I'm not going to try to remember them all off the top of my head. But at some point, there will be a day where it's nothing but that kind of music. Also, I really – really want to have a kaiju-themed day in a day that's nothing but music and trailers from classic Hammer films to feed into my Hammer love and obsession. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Again, I'm always looking for people to help out with Monster Kid Radio. If you feel like you might be interested in helping out with the Live 365 station, well, drop me a line. In fact, at this point, why don't I just say if anything that I mention piques your interest, get a hold of me. Or just stay tuned because eventually I'm going to make all this stuff happen anyway. The big thing that's coming this year, we're going to start a new annual tradition here on Monster Kid. Can you really start a tradition? Why don't we call it an event? Why don't we call it the annual event that we're starting here on Monster Kid Radio? We are going to start doing the Monster Kid Radio Retro Awards. Actually, why don't we call them the Monster Rally Awards or rallies in short? And here's how it's going to work. We're going to start with 1931. While there were monster movies before 1931, some horror films, silent films, serials, and things like that, 1931 with Dracula, Frankenstein, this is the year that really kicked things off for monster kids. I mean, these are the movies that ended up in the original shock theater package that horror hosts would show, that sort of thing. So 1931 is where we're going to start. And every year, we're going to look at a particular year, starting with 31, and honor the best movie, the best actor, and the best actress in these monster movies. As we move along, for example, next year will be 1932, the year after that, 1933. I expect there's going to be a lot more to choose from because more monster movies and horror movies were coming out. But before we ramp up, why don't we go ahead and start with the classics. There's going to be those three awards and then a fourth award, which I don't quite want to mention just yet. This is going to be a popular vote kind of thing. I'm going to set up a Google Doc and we'll make all that happen. We'll be doing that later on this year as well. Again, it's going to be the Monster Rally Awards or the rallies for short. While I am tying this into Monster Kid Radio, I'm also going to tie it into something else that I'm calling Monster Rally Media. Monster Rally Media will become kind of the umbrella for all things that I do that have to do with classic monster material. Whether it's podcasting, whether it's artwork, whether it's original audio drama, whether it's original fiction. Yeah, that's going to happen. One of the reasons why I love producing Monster Kid Radio is because I get to hang out with characters, actors, actresses, filmmakers, writers, people who created the kinds of movies that I find myself getting the most joy from, more so than anything else. I know that I've been on a journey. 
I started out loving the classic monster movies when I was a kid. As soon as I was old enough to start renting VHS tapes for myself at the local video store, yeah, I caught up with modern horror, watched all the slasher movies, and I still have an absurd love for the Friday the 13th films. I don't know why, but I always find myself more at home with the classics. If the movie's in black and white, you're halfway there. I don't know what it is. I know somebody in my demographic, in my age group, it might seem a little out of place. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time really thinking about this and I've listened to some old recordings from my, my old podcast, my zombie podcast from years ago. And it's very interesting to me to kind of step back and look at the progression of my fandom, of me as a podcaster, of me as a content creator. I can kind of look at certain events that happened in my life while I was podcasting that may have served as a a turning point, a switch that put me on a slightly different path, not to get too maudlin or morbid about the whole thing, but when my grandfather passed away while I was producing the zombie show, it kind of made me reevaluate things. And I don't want to dwell on that, but I just find myself so at home with these classic monster movies. I listen to music from these classic monster movies all the time. Given a choice, I'll pop in a Universal or a Hammer film or a Toho film if I'm looking to just kick back and watch a movie. In fact, after I get done recording this, I think I'm going to go put in something like Destroy All Monsters just because this is the stuff that I love. It fulfills me. And speaking selfishly, there's not enough of it out there in the world for me to enjoy now. It's not like they're making new classic monster movies. I mean, we have things like the upcoming Tales of Dracula, Whisper in Darkness, Christopher R. Mims movies, Alien Trespass. You know, I love this stuff. It's not like there's a new Lugosi or Karloff film on the way. It's not like Lon Chaney Jr. is going to put out something new or, you know, there's even going to be another movie with Peter Cushing in it. I mean, I, I get that, but that doesn't mean that I can't find or create media that evokes this spirit that I can lose myself in, and I fancy myself a writer. So this year, I'm going to focus some of my fiction writing efforts on creating stories, novels, prose, in what fellow writer Stephen D. Sullivan calls the classic style. And yeah, I just made air quotes because that's good podcasting because, you know, you can see this, right? I mentioned this on the podcast for a few different reasons. One, I just want to give everybody a heads up that this is something that you can expect to happen sometime in 2015. And two, I love podcasting. I view it as a hybrid between community building and traditional radio. And one of the things that endears me so much to the kind of podcasting that I like to create is that I'm able to find a community. I consider each and every one of you a friend. Even if I haven't met you in person, even if you've never called into the show or whatever, You're my people. You're my tribe. So I mentioned this maybe for a little bit of accountability. Put it out there, knowing that now that I've said it out loud and you've heard it, I've got to deliver. Put up or shut up, right, Derek? Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Another thing that I really, really would like to see happen this year is the completion of the long-awaited, long-talked-about home version of the Classic 5 game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. Going to change the name a little bit, probably, and I know we haven't played it in a while. Tell you what, next time I have somebody on the show, we'll do a round of it. Basically, it's five questions, this or that, yes or no, what's your favorite movie, that we ask guests on the show, like Bella Lugosi or Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., Lon Chaney Sr., what's your favorite Hammer sequel, Peter Cushing or Chris Farley? I mean, it's real basic stuff. But it can turn into very interesting conversations. And I'd like to have that ready to go at some point this year as well. So again, mentioning it just to let people know that it's coming. And again, looking for a little bit of that accountability. I've mentioned it. Now I've got to deliver. 
Finally. <laughs> in the immediate future, next month is February, which is Women in Horror Month. You can learn more about that over at womeninhorrormonth.com. I'm not exactly sure when this started, but at some point, February became a month where various media outlets started celebrating the female side of horror, contributors to the genre who happen to be women. And I've always been fascinated by it because on first blush from the outside, I think a lot of people think horror is a male-dominated thing. But I've known a lot of women who are really into this as well, female podcasters who celebrate horror movies. Women who are in the horror movies are amazing. Every time I've had a chance to meet somebody at a horror hound or a monster bash or something like that, I mean, they're, they're great people. So I wanted to celebrate the women in classic monster movies and sci-fi movies here on Monster Kid Radio for Women in Horror Month in February. So just to let everybody know, I've got a recording with Tracy Morris already in the can. She's one of the high muckety mucks from Disney, Indiana. We're going to talk about well, a couple of classic low-budget sci-fi monster flicks that have some pretty strong female characters or at least female imagery in them. As of right now, I have a session scheduled with Jonathan M. Lampley, planning on recording with him about a book he wrote called Women in the Horror Films of Vincent Price. That's set to happen actually on Sunday. Fingers crossed that it goes through. And that'll be part of our February recording as well. I have something special planned for the Creature Cast Among Us episode. Slightly different than what I announced on the Kaiju Cast, just because of how things are working out schedule-wise. And a few other things, a few other surprises. So stay tuned for that. Also later this year, we're going to have a month on Monster Kid Radio devoted to nothing but horror hosts. Now this is in the very beginning stages of planning. So that will be happening soon. I just need to decide what month would fit horror hosts best. If I don't know if there's a month that's special to horror hosts. I don't know, maybe October would be the best time to do it. I, I don't know, but we do want to do that at some point this year as well. That will be happening. And finally, as I mentioned at the very top of the show, I recorded with the gang from the Mimiverse Bonfire podcast. This is a podcast. Mark and Ruby, a couple of the mainstays of the Mimiverse films. Christopher R. Mim and company have been banging out these retro classic movies that I love for years now. They're in post-production on another one right now as we speak. And they put out a monthly show. I get to be a guest on the show this time around. There will be a link in the show notes to their website. It's sainteuphoria.com if you're not online right this second. And I believe I'll be appearing on their February episode. And this is something else that I'd love to do this year. I'd love to get on some other podcasts and just kind of talk about and represent the fandom of these classic monster movies with, well, other like-minded folks or maybe even unlike-minded folks. Cause definitely want to spread the word. And finally, let's talk about Monster Bash. I had a blast at last year's Monster Bash. It was in June. It was fantastic. I didn't go to the October one, although I hear that was amazing as well. I honestly don't know how likely it is that I'm going to be able to get to the next Monster Bash, even though they're using the mummy as kind of like their monster to promote the show this year. And I love my mummy movies. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Financially, there's a lot of things happening. And there may be some pretty big life changes coming here soon. Uh, nothing bad in my real life. So I don't know if we can afford to go. I'd love to. But unless... I accidentally win the lottery, which would be tough because I don't buy lotto tickets. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'll keep everybody posted, but we'll see. I've rambled a lot. I think we need to wrap up the show, right? Right? <laughs> 
Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Bête Noir. That belongs to the Necronomicids. It's from their self-titled album. You can find them at necronomicids.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 